Hey guys, welcome back to the Phil Kraus Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today's co-host is Kurt. Hi. <laughs> Dude, you know what we gotta do is like an automatic, an auto uh, I know. intro I don't thing. Think, I don't know why we do this every time. It sounds awkward when it's interesting you fuck it, this up every time. Technically, Sorry. technically, that's what you're doing. <laughs> today's episode's on night vision. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> No, we're not doing one on night vision. Actually, we, we have to do one on, yeah. eventually. Yeah. But it was a joke because if you listen, <laughs> if you listen to our old podcast, you would know that uh, last time we did a night vision podcast, uh, it turned into a shooting the shit episode, which this will be shooting the shit effectively. So, welcome to shooting the shit. Yeah. Part do. <laughs> Part do. <laughs> you know the greatest things. Why don't you describe our atmosphere right here? Oh, I don't want. Or right now. <laughs> You're naked, you got jeans on, you're shirtless, looking handsome and regal, uh, you're trying to get me wasted, which is weird. Yeah. Um, but we, the coolest thing about shooting the shit, I think, you know what, I think we should call it shooting the crap. I want to be more, a little bit more respectful. So the elementary school kids can listen to this? <laughs> I'll it's say probably the, the level crap. we're on anyways. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The greatest things about these episodes, about this one, in fact, the the last one we did too, we don't rehearse or plan anything. We we don't do that anyway. Yeah. Really. Um, but these generally, we, you text me and say, "In five minutes, we're doing a podcast," and I'm like, "What are we doing?" Fuck. Though? Yeah. Um, I don't know what we're talking about, and then I feel like a dipshit for the whole podcast. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's kind of <laughs> your SOP. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how you roll. Mike actually studies, and he's the boss of Fieldcraft. Always wants to make me look stupid. So. I'm like, hey, bro, we're doing a, a podcast on night vision. And that show I, do, I study about with. night vision, and then he shows up, and he's like, um, it's a podcast about this book called The Tribe by Sebastian Young. Did you read it? No? Great. Yeah, That's perfect. Yeah, perfect. You don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Oh, man. Actually, we should shoot the shit, uh, this being 9-11. I mean, we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it is 9-11 we're at, and by the time you guys get this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be 9-11. You know, 9-11, we both post on it, and my I just posted on Instagram, and so did you. But my whole thing, man, is I'm not a big fan of, of uh, being sensitive about the subject, because... So many people, like I read, you know, the the one I posted was the dude who was fallen. They actually labeled right. him the falling man. It was a, it was on a, uh, it's actually a documentary, but it was, it was uh, taken off of a lot of magazine covers and media outlets because they thought it was too offensive. Right. And I could see the sensitivity in it. Right. You got to love somebody's loved one that's fallen to their death. But to me, it's just like showing soldiers, uh, American soldiers that are killed in combat. During World War II, we did that right in theaters, and we showed the realities of war, and it got people passionate about the cause and understanding that this is reality. This is not a movie, right? And so when I posted that, I I don't give a shit about the insensitivity when it comes to people not wanting to see that kind of stuff because that's the reality of what happened that day, right? And you know, I'm I'm a very sensitive person when it comes to people's feelings. Generally speaking, but when it comes to that, which is, I think, a pivotal moment in both of our lives and the rest of the world, I don't think we should dance around it. Yeah, it, um, 
it kind of drives the point home when you see the uh when you see what happened that day and you see um we were wa- we were looking at some other live things. yeah we, live. When we were looking at other things on instagram today and you know some colleagues that were in special operations and their opinions about that day and what motivated them to fight and and all these different uh things and basically um we shouldn't forget about that and you have to look at the reality of what happened when those two airliners crashed into the World Trade Center and one and two and brought those buildings down and killed all those innocent people. I uh read an article and was was talking about the casualties and how it pulverized everybody when the towers collapsed. And it said around sixteen hundred to this day, sixteen hundred of the souls that were in that building haven't been identified. Yeah. Sixteen hundred. And they you know, some analysts, you know, you know what pisses me off is these conspiracy theorists yeah. who talk about I won't even entertain discussing about some of the conspiracies because I don't want to give them any empowerment. But just saying it's an inside job. Yeah. Yeah. You're a loser. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. There's uh footage of the hijackers prior to leaving. We know what their pattern of life was prior to after gaining surveillance footage. Um They'll just tell you it's Photoshop. Yeah, it's all it's a government conspiracy. I mean well the other part about that too is you know, Osama bin Laden had already declared war against the United States and we just we weren't paying attention, you know. Yeah, Masood uh, was already killed, assassinated. Yeah. Well, this all coincided uh, yeah. just prior to the, to the attacks on 9-11. There was a strategy that Al-Qaeda had behind that. They, yeah. knew, they knew that if they took out Shah Massoud, um, that you know, we hopefully wouldn't have a partner to help topple their shitty little government. Shitty. Definitely shitty. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> when you, you know going back to the, the, the toppling... Or the uh, collapse of the buildings, it basically acted as a crematory, right. and you know there wasn't furniture, there wasn't remains, and it burned in rubble for a period of time. And there's a lot of conspiracies that you know where they think, hey, there's no remains, so it was just it just basically was uh, an act. Um, it wasn't real. We all know it was real, and it, you know that that moment where those guys and gals were jumping from the building, they had no other option, you know, and the option was to burn alive and jet fuel or, you know, make a decision to get away from it. And jump. And jump. Uh, it, it was a tough one. And, you know, it's that day is the, the largest and most tragic day in American history. And, but it was a pivotal moment for so many people's lives. You know, it changed literally the course's of action for most people in America and what they were doing. I mean, you were an E5 in the infantry. Yep. I was an E5 actually in the National Guard. I had a break in service, but I was an E5 in the Guard. You did a post too, right? You were in PLDC at the time, right? Yeah, so I did a post today just kind of, um, I was looking back on, you know, career, right? And um, for those of you that don't know that may just start listening to Mike and I's podcast, um, I med retired last year, just shy of 20 years, and um, you know spent a long time in the military. You know multiple combat deployments, 
and you know a day like 9-11 or the anniversary of 9-11 kind of you go back and relive your whole career if you will and kind of where it started and you know up until that point uh, the army was a garrison army for the most part and um, you know mil or uh, combat arms units and units in general in the military weren't conducting combat operations and and that attack that day changed everything and we knew it that day you know the the small story that I shared on Instagram today was you know it was along the lines of a day that I'll never forget I never will um, because I know right where I was at I know right what I was doing and I happened to be in uh, what's called PLDC which is a primary leadership development course and it was for junior leaders in the army at the time they call it like the warriors leader course now or something like that and um, I had walked into the chow hall and you know uh, along with some fellow junior NCOs and we were sitting down eating and I remember looking up at the TV and seeing a plane crash into one of the World Trade Center uh, one of the buildings and we were like holy shit is this real um, and then obviously we would all find out that it was and I and the one thing that really sticks with me out of all those memories about that specific time was the resolve that I felt in the room with all these junior leaders in the army because we knew right when that happened um, you know and then the news started talking about a terrorist attack and all this stuff we knew that we were going to be called upon to exact vengeance on the enemy and we actually looked forward to that i think everybody in that room knew you know uh you know through this united cause that we were going to go and punish the bad guys and that was a that's a feeling i'll never forget it, yeah we described we described that in a little bit in part one of tribe where you know when people are going through hard times and it's, you know, uh, Sebastian Younger analyzed that in warfare and case studies, uh, you, there's a common commonality in culture and a bond surviving together. Right. That creates a bond greater than any, because, you know, we're not surviving anymore. We're living. Right. And uh, we're spoiled. So then when you have to, know you're fighting with your brothers, you know you're gonna go through hard times, it unites you uh, and enriches your life and your soul deeper than anything uh, you could describe in life in general, uh, period. Uh, I do remember I was in, like I told you, I was in Fayetteville too. It's funny, it's ironic though, uh, I tried to, a month before that, I tried to re-enlist to go into 18th Airborne Corps, LERS, yeah. and I wanted Halo School en route, and, and they wouldn't give it to me. And um, so I decided to get out and go into the National Guard. And then also I was in community college, kind of writing shit off. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm hanging it up. There was no war going on. Yeah. I, w I couldn't get what I wanted, which was I wanted regiment. I, got a, I had a Ranger 40 option contract, but I got 11 hotel. <laughs> um, and there's it. no hotels in regiment. And I was like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, so then I wound up getting out, a little, feeling a little cheated. A little bitter, which is most people who get out of the army. <laughs> yeah. um, but then after that happened, I remember that day, I ran home and put my BDUs, my battle dress uniforms, the old army camo, and I put it inside the washer. And, and dry, I remember drying them and making phone calls like, what's happening and what are we doing? And I was in a reconnaissance platoon, which is only the only reconnaissance platoon in North Carolina National Guard, which is 30th uh, Heavy Armored Separate Brigade. And so we were uh, a mounted and dismounted scout platoon, and I was a team leader. And I remember thinking, 
this is what I joined the army for. And so that, and I never wanted to deploy with the National Guard unit. <laughs> no offense, guys. We no no offense to the guard. But I just wanted to be with the most elite. And so right after that moment, I decided I wanted to go to selection. I was in selection. I actually was in selection like three months later, right. which is kind of crazy. But you can only do that in the guard. And then after selection, I was back on active duty, which is the way it happened. Uh, I can't even tell because it was like... <laughs> Highly illegal. Oh, yeah, <laughs> this, that's a good story in itself. You got to save that for next time. Yeah, yeah. For when I'm out of the country yeah. and uh, yeah. I don't want to get rolled up. So yeah, I did. I did get back in the army like that, and so, but it fueled right. It fueled our. It propelled and fueled our journey in the military because without that, like you said, you describe a garrison army, we would have never had those opportunities afforded to us. And it wouldn't accelerate it like it did at the speed of war, which it right. obviously did. Which comes full circle to talking about or having this, I think we have an interesting insight into, or you know, obviously we're interested in the, the tribe aspect and all these different things that we talk about now, we wouldn't have experienced anything like that had we not you know, been uh, bonded through war and these experiences that put hardship on people. Yeah. I. You know, the the interesting aspect to special operations at that time period or the infantry or ranger regiment is everybody at that time period who was volunteering for this kind of stuff wanted it. So there was a commonality. Because there is, I remember Kevin, my buddy, who was a sniper with me, used to talk about like the pre-GWAT guys, uh, pre-war Green Berets, or pre-war guys, period, who joined for different reasons or different motivations than we did who did it during war or during conflict where we knew what we were getting ourselves into and nothing against those guys because i mean i know guys who did 20-year careers before 9-11 and retired like the day prior to 9-11 and missed out on every conflict in warfare and they were green berets right which would be depressing yeah it's a huge thing to remember 9-11 to never forget the the victims of 9-11 and who died and who gave the ultimate sacrifice. But it's also a kickoff into warfare where many Americans uh, gave their lives. Many service members gave their lives and continue to do so. Right. Yeah. I, one of the other <clears throat> the things that I want to talk about that Instagram post is um, kind of the theme that I went with is... Uh, even though my, you know we're not serving in in the same capacity that we were on active duty, um, the threat is still real. It's still there. There are bad guys constantly planning, um, and they won't stop until they get you know achieve what their ideology wants. And so, one of the one of the things that I that I always wonder about Americans is like we're so short. We've got such a short attention span when it comes to certain things, you know, right now, and you know, this is deserving to have our attention, right? The hurricanes in both Texas and Florida, the devastation that that causes, people's lives change forever. We're not making light of that at all, um, you know, but I talked about a little bit in, in that Instagram post, the long haul, and this war and this, uh, you know, conflict that we're in is not going away anytime soon. And, you know, I've heard all these different debates with politicians and talking about blood resources 
you know, treasure, all these different things, right? But the bottom line is that we have to have an aggressive strategy that confronts this ideology wherever it grows um, on this planet because it's not going to go away. And as long as those guys are planning and plotting and willing to execute uh, offensive operations against innocent people, uh, we have to stay in the fight. And we have to be proactive about chasing these guys down everywhere and anywhere and killing them. I, I would vote for you if you were <laughs> yeah. running for office. Uh, I think you're absolutely right, and you said it really eloquently. Um, well, then I listen to us on It must be that tea that you're drinking. Yeah. It's a green tea. We want to pretend like it, it doesn't exist because we're in our safe, safe zone. Yeah. You know, we're surrounded by water uh, that separates us from the Middle East, and we think that's a Middle East problem. Right. It's, it's a world problem. Absolutely. And... Any time we let our guard down and we don't crush and kill these terrorists with this ideology, they're going to land in our backyard like they did 2001, and they're going to kill as many Americans as they possibly can. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the thing that kills me is, uh, you know, we don't we don't get into a lot of politics. Mike and I are I like to call us realists because I don't believe in all the politics and all the bullshit surrounding all the opinions. Uh, of people that have never actually gone in, or gone and done the job and faced bad guys down on the battlefield. And the, here's the bottom line is they are going to come here as lone wolves or in groups and they're already in the United States and they're going to keep killing innocent people. Why? One, because it's an easy target. They get a lot of propaganda and uh, publicity out of it. And then the second part is they're not afraid to give their lives for their cause. And so you know, irregardless if you want to call it a hate crime or whatever other bullshit the media spins on what they call it, the bottom fucking line is is that these are bad assholes that want to kill Americans and Westerners because they hate us, because they think that we're evil and they believe that Western culture is evil, and it's it's an ideology, and we have to continue to fight it if we're if we're going to win in the long haul. Yeah, it's an ideology that's uh, being bred in the children oh, yeah. who grow up to be little terrorists. Yeah. Um. So it's it's and it's too remote, man. It's too rural. You're not gonna you're not gonna affect it without going after it. You know, you you Absolutely. can't you can't uh, make a pamphlet and drop it on a village and expect that's going to be the solution. Right. Drop a JDAM instead of a uh, pamphlet. Yeah. So, well, since we're talking about solutions, like, uh, what do you think is a good solution for attacking it? You know, I think, like you said, one, you know, whether it's special operations or whether it's the military, there has to be like a comprehensive approach. So it has to be strategic. One of the elements of the strategy is, like you said, killing. I, I, these capturing, these terrorists, uh, they're, to me, their ideology, the way, you know, some of these guys might talk. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we have enough resources, intelligence-wise, to be able to affect the battlefield with minimizing human American uh, or coalition casualties, yeah. i.e. dropping bombs on people. Yeah. So my thing is not being afraid to have collateral damage that's, you know, we, we want to drop a bomb on terrorists in Syria, but we're afraid to affect the population. Well, the population is just as guilty as the... I mean, the terrorists that are inside the house, and then you're trying to differentiate between the guy who is plotting a bomb and the guy's wife 
who supports the guy who's plotting the bomb, who would strap a suicide vest to her chest just as quick. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to justify uh, or separate the means by saying, hey, we have innocent combatants. Do you? Because those children in that house would pick up arms and kill you just as fast because they're part of the ideology. Right. And, you know, you have to minimize collateral damage. But that line is so skewed now. What is collateral damage? Right. A A woman comes out of a house during a call out and clacks herself off and kills six rangers then and, and we didn't do anything about it because we wanted to minimize casualties and we assumed that the the girl in the burqa is a had, good guy western values yeah is it not an enemy combatant right it's the wrong idea i mean there there are pockets of this resistance that the innocent civilians have an option and if they don't they need to be told or they they need to be given the option that if you're there you're part of the problem and we're going to deal with you as a problem and make it make an easy solution. Right. You know, and I hate to say it, but it's it's like uh, us dealing with Nazi Germany and and uh, insane Japan right. back in the day in World War II. There is no negotiation with these people. Right. There's zero negotiation. The women and children. I've seen it. I mean, I've seen kids pick up guns and point them at us. I've seen women clack themselves off. The shit is not. This is a completely different world that we live in today. Right. I think you bring up all really good points because it's pretty easy to armchair quarterback what's going on when you see a clip on the news, but when you've actually lived it um, and seen guys killed or hurt, um, you know, their lives change forever or coalition forces or, you know, any of our allies or, uh, you know, anybody that's affected and you see that for real, then you understand how the game is played, you know, and it, it's not really a game, but you understand that you have to bring, you know, max firepower uh, to deal with the problem. So, I mean, if you, you intercept, if you're analyzing intelligence, which is how, you know, drives operations, and you intercept traffic that says, we're plotting to kill these Americans or these Europeans, you're going to do something about it. And the option, the alternative is not to do anything. But every single time the media picks up some little sliver of it's a talking point, right? It's yeah. it's it's a it's a headline that generates traffic, which generates capital, which generates popularity, right? And it goes, it's a vicious cycle. So all these retards on uh, in the media, who, you know, I, I, I'm not afraid to pick on CNN because they're they're insane. Yeah. When you have these millionaire reporters who are talking on behalf of the people, but they're spinning their own propaganda internal to their company they work for. <laughs> CNN doesn't is it doesn't represent the people. Yeah. It's not paid by taxpayer dollars. <laughs> it's a it's a billion dollar corporation yeah. that is generating uh propaganda based on an agenda. Yeah. And that agenda is happens to be far left. There's there's far right agendas, but it happens to be on the far left. So don't always believe what you hear in the media. Pay attention to the guys like us. Who are actually spinning reality from the real world. Yeah, personal experience. Personal experience (laughs) and our friend's personal experience. Not some headline or not some snippet of information that's just spun into, uh, you know, oblivion. Yeah, Uh, it's spun into the opinion of the corporation. (laughs) Exactly. Because they want to influence an outcome. Uh, Exactly. And, you know... I mean, you, we could go into a yeah. rabbit hole on that whole topic. You um, can go on a tirade if you want, because shooting the shit episode one. Yeah, <laughs> I want to really bad. Yeah, but, yeah. 
I, there's other stuff that's more fun to talk about. Well, I also think that our listeners are, uh, you know, smart enough to understand that, you know, whatever news outlet you're watching, there's a spin on, you know, a story based off of what the, uh, you know, the overall agenda is for the, the news network, which today's day and age is actually kind of sad to say because you figure with technology and all these things that we have that you would be getting a much more upfront uh, picture of what's going on. Um, but then when people take clips of video and pictures and basically, you know, uh, trim them down to exactly what they want and then narrate, you know, what's going on, and it may not even be the truth, you know, based off of what they want to tell you. So it's actually kind of sad. You know, you know what? I, my recommendation would be, hey, turn off the TV and don't watch the news. Don't, don't always try to be influenced by somebody's opinion actually do the research yourself and then source different references yeah. to make your own opinion. I, the, you know, the bottom line is social media, media, period, is entertainment. Yeah. If it didn't release endorphins every time you saw it, like you wake up and you read all these stories and it wasn't entertaining, you wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to truly educate yourself, do the actual research. Don't always believe what you see and read. Yeah. Actually talk to a, a reliable source of information that you vetted and take it for what it's worth. I, I think, you know, media outlets now have become entertainment outlets just spinning things out of control for popularity, yeah. for ratings, which yeah. lead to more capital, obviously. Which in turn is garbage. It's it's all <laughs> garbage, man. I you know, I I start and I don't know how to do this because we're on social media, but spitting uh, more positive outcomes and more solutions to positive outcomes is my new thing now. Yeah. Where, you know, hey, why don't you, for once, not go to a bar and get wasted or go to a club and get wasted or uh, spend the entire evening on social media? Why don't you go and do something? Research, like, the local area, the nature trails, the epic historic things that are going on. Yeah. Events that are tied into culture, that are tied tied into uh, uh, nature. You can and even do pick something. up the book, The Tribe. You pick up a book and actually and fucking, fucking read, read. Which is, you know, for you, a new thing. <laughs> We're getting one word yeah. at a time. Um, we got you the audio book on everything so you can just follow along. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the happiest moments of my life. I remember the Q course where you could have a book. And I remember... You, you busted your ass all day and you got six to seven hours of sleep, depending on the, the course you're in, sometimes zero. But you had that book, and I remember had, putting on my headlamp, right? And and opening a book. It wasn't Playboy, was it? Typically, <laughs> it was Playgirl. Yeah. Um, but you could learn and experience this alternate life through learning experiences through a book yeah. and escape reality. And it was positive. It was positive in the sense that you weren't being saturated with all this bullshit. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of nonfiction. I'm not, I'm not a, I mean, I want to read Harry Potter really bad <laughs> because yeah. it's, everybody says it's cool, but I kind of want to be tapped into real situations and learn through people's real life experiences. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you've got to be a good student of history to not let it repeat itself. And when you pretend that history doesn't exist, uh, you're doomed to make the same mistakes that people have made in the past, which is probably not the best way to go. Yeah, not the best way to live. Yeah, uh, get outside your comfort zone. You know, like, I mean, 
do epic stuff in life. There's so many epic opportunities to do things in life. Yeah. Whether it's travel around in your area. I mean, no matter what, you could live in the shittiest place in the world, like Fayetteville, North Carolina. <laughs> and if you just drive an hour outside of Fayetteville, you could be in some pretty cool places. You could be in the mountains of North Carolina. You could be on the coast of North Carolina. Yeah. Um, there's always something to see outside of your bubble. Really hate to see people waste away their lives with the same old, simple the same. Yeah. I, I think one of the... That uh, was De La Soa, I think. They, they wrapped that. <laughs> you I'm a big always fan do of that. I think some of the most uh, probably memorable experiences I've had are probably from uh, international travel and uh, being around different cultures. and. You What's know, your favorite international experience? Oh, God. Was it Jordan? Um, Jordan was pretty cool. Um, oh, Israel. You told me about Israel. Israel was And that really was epic, cool. right? Because yeah. you did the history thing. Yeah, well, so, uh, yeah, a quick, I guess, sum up of my trip to Israel. I spent time in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. And um, it was just interesting to spend time there and watch, um, you know, a people that are essentially surrounded on all sides that, you know, the, the, uh, the people that are surrounding them want to wipe them off the map, basically. <laughs> And, um, you know, everybody was armed, Every, you know, the um, great lead in to talking about the tribe again, but, you know, the tribe uh, is faced with an external threat and that makes them extremely close, protective of one another. Uh, War is part of their culture. Yeah, I mean, it's... Conflict know, is yeah, part of Yeah, obviously, culture. you know, there's tons of stuff going on in the Middle East all the time, but it was very interesting to see that culture and how they worked and... You know, people for the most part were generally pretty friendly. Um, and then just on top of that, you know, the historical significance of Jerusalem and religion and um, and seeing all of that, which, you know, I got to go to the, uh, I believe it's pronounced the Holy Church of Sepulcher. The resurrection place of right, the Jesus resur- Christ. Yeah, resurrection, resurrection site of Jesus Christ. And then uh, also saw, I believe it's called the Dome of the Rock Mosque, uh, which, you know, in people that have seen pictures of it it's the big golden dome mosque yeah um and then the wailing wall which is obviously where you know the jews practice jews and the is Isla- islamic uh well the whole the whole area is considered holy, holy to everybody yeah. you know and the, the city itself is broken down into sectors if you will so you have like a christian section uh you've got a a muslim section and then you you've got a you know a jewish section if you will and um, it's interesting to see all those people uh, together and, you know, they're worshiping and, and doing what they do. But from a historical significance, being, um, you know, basically on the streets that have been there for thousands of years. And it, I mean, it was just really interesting. The whole experience was a positive one. So that's really cool, man. Yeah. Really boring, but really cool. <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite, what's your favorite special forces school that you've been to? Favorite special forces. Hazmat? Was it Hazmat? Yeah, it was uh, Equal Opportunity. (laughs) That was such a good course, man. Yeah. No, um, probably Free Fall School when you and I... There's two. I I really enjoyed SODIC. Which is? SODIC, which was... Now it's called the Special Forces Sniper Course, but back in the day it was a Special Operations Target Interdiction Course. Did you like it the first time or the third time that you went through? (laughs) I only went once. Um, and I passed the first time, thanks. Did you? You passed the field shoot? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh-huh. Of course, actually, my partner and I at the time were the top shots in the field shoot. No big fucking deal. Yeah. Well, me and my partner were the best top shots <laughs> yeah. of the whole course, not just a, a bench. <laughs> yeah. How did so tell people about the top about because uh, people hear field shoot. It's probably talked about a lot on forums and stuff. Yeah. But the field shoot is the in. It's the culmination end of sniper marksmanship during the begin uh, beginning training, right? <laughs> yeah. The so, first phase, I guess? Uh it's well it's that phase now. No, the way that it's broken down is you have like a sniper marksmanship phase. Yeah. Uh, which back in the day was out on the range. M twenty four palmasites. Yeah. The electronic targets out on sixty six. Echo. Yeah. Um so anyways, field shoot was a um Basically, the training is set up so it's unknown distance, right? So you have to use the reticle inside of your scope to measure a target. Uh, then using a math formula, uh, you know, you use the size of the target to actually get a distance to the target. And then you and your buddy, who's a spotter... So you're measuring an unknown distance target. Right. Yeah. To get to get the known distance, right? And if yeah. your math is fucked up, then obviously your distance is off, which is going to affect your shot. So... Anyways, but the goal of that whole, the field shoot test, if you will, and the training that leads up to that is to engage uh, a set uh, group of targets at unknown distances and be able to effectively engage them in a certain amount of time with a limited amount of ammunition. Without having like a range finder. Right. Which would be, it's actually the, the target width or height in inches times 25.4 divided by what you mill it as. You'll never remember that, but I just want to—I <laughs> want to show off because I still remember that it's stuck yeah. in my brain. But that's—that's that's one of the most difficult things for snipers to do because you're measuring you and your partner. He could do it through the reticle on his spotting scope, but you guys right. are measuring a target. You're doing math and you're determining the range, and then shooting the dope or data for that target. That's right. And then so you get one shot. If you miss it, you got to make the correction on the spot. Yep. And then adjust and hit hit the target. So it's basically two rounds per target, and hopefully your spotter is reading trace. So if you do miss, he sees what the uh, you know the deviation is. He can basically measure that in mills. That's awesome. And then give you a correction. So me and Joe, you know, Joe went to uh, he was in the SIF with me, and uh, Kurt knows Joe. But we went and we passed it the first time around. But then uh, Tim Kennedy and his partner had to pick another partner because they had a retest. And I can't remember who Tim Kennedy's partner at the time was, but he wound up failing. Uh, good dude, yeah. solid dude, but he wound up failing. And uh, Tim had to pick a retest partner, and he picked me. And some people know about this in Sifsic and, and uh, Sodic because the instructors were so mad at me. <laughs> I like I, more Rick Ricky. I, I won't say his last name. Ricky C was so mad at me and holding such a grudge because. Basically, what happened is Tim picked me for the retest. Tim Kennedy, the UFC fighter at Tim Kennedy MMA. No big deal. No big deal. Boss in the SF community. Really good dude. Helps a lot with charities. Has a show on History Channel. Is a good buddy of ours and just a good, solid, all-around dude. He's in a book that you were in in the Q course, uh, Chosen Soldier by Dick Couch. Right. But, you know, he we go to retest. And then at the final round, I knew that Tim had one more round. He shoots it and misses and he had one more round. And then the spotter instructor on glass was like, okay, you're done, get up. And I was like, Rick, he's got one more shot, he's still good. He's like, negative, he's done. I'm like, no, negative, he's not done. And I was a senior E7 at the time, and Ricky was a civilian. He's a, yeah. He was a civilian. And I'm like, hey, listen, man, I'm not trying to argue with you, but I'm just trying to tell you, he's got one more round. 
can we get the NCIC out here? So Eric G comes out and does the right thing, which is, hey, if there's a dispute between the instructor and the student, especially when it comes to giving somebody a go or no go, the benefit of the doubt goes to the inst- or to the student, right. not to the instructor, which is the right answer. I mean, no matter in my training and our training, yeah, just period. That's how it goes. So Eric shows up and then he's like, he discusses it with Rick, and Ricky's pissed off at me. Rick's mad, and he's like, hey, here's the deal. You have one round. If he hits the target. It's a go. If he doesn't hit it, you're a no-go. And this basically means he would walk away. So we lie down on the target, and of course, they give us the farthest target. I believe at the time, it was about 800 meters. Right. Which a 308 is stretching the limits of subsonic. I mean, you're, you're subsonic at 800-plus meters. Or you're transonic, I'm sorry, at, at, at that distance. Into 800 meters at the tail end of it, you're subsonic. So we knew it was going to be a difficult shot. He gets down. I call like a heavy mill. I'm like 1.5 with 308s. It's not. It's typical to call like a one over one mill uh, deviation at that distance. Right for a wind call. For a wind call. Yeah. So I was like 1.5. I was like left 1.5, and I remember Tim actually turned around off the gun. He came off the glass <laughs> and actually said, "Are you sure?" And I said, "Left 1.5, Tim," and he's like. Psh! And dude, the time of flight on that it felt like a minute. <laughs> yeah. But it, it impacted the center of that target like it got hit with a freaking tow missile. I was like, boosh! <laughs> and and I was like, damn! And we and, and Tim then you got up. a slow mode. And, and we slow mo stood up and high fived. <laughs> and dude, all those dudes were pissed off. But I was, you know what? I, I have no regrets about that instance because there's a right way and a wrong way to handle stuff. And after that, it kind of got went the wrong way. Yeah. But anyways, passed and was successful and then went on to kill bad guys in, in warfare behind a long gun. So there's no beef, Rick. Yeah. Uh, you probably holding a grudge and stuff. I heard. <laughs> I hear things behind behind closed doors that you're still holding a grudge. But well, my yeah, Sodic was completely different. My Sodic experience was completely different. You're having fun? The instructors loved me. I had fun. I yeah. crushed it. Yeah. And I high-fived the instructors after the tests, And they were like, fucking great job, bro. Really? <laughs> Who was your instructor? Who was your primary? Uh, well, I had Chris W. Which and then is, I yeah. also had Silas. Silas O, who, you know... Silas was there in my I highly too. doubt that other SF guys that are from our peer group listen to our podcast, so... Hope not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Silas. But anyways, oh. Chris W., uh, who would later be my team sergeant and one of the better team sergeants that I would have in my career. Chris is a great dude. Yeah, is just an awesome dude, and he's still active duty now and, you know, doing great things. So, I think, you know what's crazy is I think uh, one of my favorite courses isn't really talked about because it, it's not like a cool guy course, uh, was a sensitive site exploitation course that I did with rank, at Ranger 37. Yeah. And so, you know, that course is about biometrics and collecting uh, evidence. DNA. DNA. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of DNA everywhere, and our, and the coolest thing is, I remember we did a little thing in a hotel room where we had to take off shoes and set up the little site and do all this uh, exploitation. But I was a technical nerd. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what that's the kind of stuff that I like, man. I mean, so we did. Oh, dude, I'll never forget. The contract was ran by what was the contract? Nek, right? Had the contract. There was a block of this instruction where we did homemade explosives. And we did, I can't, I'm not going to get the details of it, but there's basically a homemade explosive that you make where you drip, you have to drip the solution together in order for it to bond 
And if you overdo it, it becomes unstable and will literally blow up. <laughs> and we had in our class a guy who was doing the droplets and got a little excited. I could see that being really dangerous Dude, with some of the mongos well, in that stuff. It became unstable and then yeah. we had to throw it out in the field and it blew up. Like, like it was like, oh my God, let's get this. Boom! <laughs> well, the craziest thing about that is when later when I went to 10th group, NEK was doing like an HME thing and they were doing that and one of the NEK instructors blew off his hand. Oh, God. In car, at Fort Carson. Whoa. And I was like, well, that kind of makes sense because, uh, you know, I saw how we were doing it. Yeah. It was super cool. Like some of the best training I ever got. Super dangerous. Yeah. Kind of like our free fall experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, and military free fall school. So free fall school was your second favorite? Yeah, probably. I There's nothing like the feeling of, uh, I'll never forget the first jump. Of your butthole quivering? Yeah. One, because you were ahead of me and I watched you jump out like a fucking starfish. Like a two by four? Yeah. And go flying like a ninja star through the air. No. That's awesome. Um, no, but you know it's just a a really memorable experience when you're flying at you know 12,000 13,000 feet and the ramp I think our first jump was a C-130 wasn't it yeah it was and that ramp drops and you know of course that course is done out in Yuma Arizona for the army um, and then some some uh, sister services also attend the school out there as well so I think we had some navy guys we had some seals in our class we had some boat guys we had some good dudes man. So we had some air force guys controllers and PJs um, just a whole mixed crew of guys out there. Anyways, that ramp drops at 13,000 feet, 12.5. And all you can see is the desert at, you know, 07 a.m. And your instructor basically looks over at you and he's like, are you ready? And then, you know, you get... My your... butthole is quivering right now. <laughs> it's like lactating thinking about this. We're sitting in a hotel room right now and Mike's asshole is eating my sheets. Sorry, that was terrible. <laughs> Um, no, but you know, you don't you have baby wipes here. <laughs> you don't forget that, uh, that kind of stuff. So good. That was a great experience. You know, I, I don't, I kind of think the way free fall school was ran is kind of made, like the way it was ran where we had like ground week Yeah. or we're on the table doing all that stuff. Yeah. And then you do the tunnel. The tunnel. Well, number one, that tunnel was the ho- most horrible tunnel <laughs> I, I think ever. It's no reflection of what the air feels like because it's very unstable. And then if you're unstable in the tunnel, they're like, oh, you're not going to be good. Yeah. And then you jump out and you could be upside down sideways and you would fall flat because well, you don't, yeah, you've got no this air. big giant sky to be fucked up in. So yeah. it's kind of hard to, I mean, it's easy like in the tunnel, for example, when you're backsliding, which for those of you that don't know, backsliding when you're in free fall is like you put your legs on your ass. It's what Kurt did all the time. Yeah. You put your legs on your ass and it makes you slide backwards in the air, which is something that they don't um, encourage, right? They want you to have positive legs so that way you're always flying forward. Yeah. Um, they don't want you to backslide into somebody who shoots opening and then you get yeah. wrapped or wrapped around the There's all shoot. kinds of bad things that happen unless you've got eyes on your ass and you can see behind you. Yeah. <laughs> it's. I, I wish they would have did it more civilian-like, you know, because... Civilians, they take a class, they jump out of a, they take a, a thirty minute block of instruction, they jump out of a plane, yeah. and then they 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 learn through that trial and error of the sensation of falling, instead of being because I remember they used to tell you to come out like a box, be box man, right? But then I started realizing if you come out like a box and your arms are stiff, then you're gonna waffle, right? But if you come out relaxed arms and you just kind of like throw your arms out there, you you could be able to move your arms and control the air, so you could kind of get stable. It was a good course. I thought it was a really good course. Yep. 
Yeah. Later we went to Jump Masters, Halo Jump Master. Yeah. And ADIC, which is the Advanced Tactical Interdiction Course. Infiltration course. course. What did I say? Interdiction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Infiltration. Our brains are rotting inside of our skulls right now from Advanced massive traumatic brain injuries. and Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so VA. VA is still jacked up, man. I went, we went to, wouldn't I go to the VA the other day in Durango? Yeah. And I could, they wouldn't even let me be seen. Yeah. And I'm like, so how do, how do I be seen? Does that even make sense? How do no. I even be seen? How do I even be seen? How do I be seen up in this here Veterans <laughs> Administrations? Uh, <laughs> basically, Mike had done the right thing, gone in in advance, uh, did a transfer of his paperwork, um, as they do, and uh, they somehow lost the paperwork. So when he went in to get treated, uh, they were like, hey, who the fuck are you? And he was like, hey, this is who the fuck I am. And oh, by the way, I did this paperwork transfer like a month like, ago, a month, two months ago. And they were like, oh, we're sorry. We're going to have to transfer your paperwork again. I was like, when can I be seen? They're like, you can't be seen. Yeah. I was like, what do I do? You can go to the emergency room. But and, you're going to pay for it. But you're going to pay for it. <laughs> it's like, and, and you know, when you're over 30%, that's, that's, that's my VA. I don't have Obamacare because I'm over 30%. I could have my own health care through VA. Yeah. It's actually... Um, the percentages are a little bit higher. Obviously, we know what our percentages are, but because you have a higher percentage, it, it entitles you to more uh, health care, right? Because we had more years in service, more injuries, um, and all those kind of things. So typically, guys that spend you know 18 to X, X number of years in the military, over 20, most of those guys come out and are between 80 and 100% disabled. Uh, for good reason, because you know we spent a long time fucking our bodies up and our brains and everything else, and uh, you know the fact is is that doing this job isn't kind to your mind or body. So yeah, absolutely not. I'm still fighting a emergency room visit that they're trying to get me on. If you work for the VA and you can help me out, DM me because I'm desperately in need of help. I've yeah. literally called the VA. Literally called them fifty times. You should with tell ten visits. You should tell everybody what that visit was about. <laughs> Which one? The one where you had the flashlight stuck in your ass. <laughs> yeah, dude. That, well, the, the Sorry, whole, we digress. It was a mag light, yeah. and so the thing it was, was a twelve foot mag light. Yeah, it, t- it worked off a car battery. <laughs> Um, but it was good for light. And so I you want to... the taxpayers to pay for your mishap with a flashlight in your ass? Well, dude, I yeah, it was just it was a mistake. I regret it. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I I'm use, very very. I sorry. only use Surefire now. <laughs> yeah. Surefire LLC. Yeah. You're like, what are we even talking about? What are right we now? talking about right now? Pepper, pep, pepperoni nipples is the only thing <laughs> I'm thinking about right now. What was I going to talk about? Oh, I was thinking about the Fall Raven stuff. Yeah. And uh, what's it pro- how's it pronounced? Fiel Raven. Fiel Raven. Yeah, Fiel Raven. I, I, since we've been rocking Fiel Raven yeah. stuff, dude, we've been getting hit up a lot. Yeah. Uh, we are working with a company, and to, you know, it's, it's, it's both of our opinions that Fiel Raven is in the, in the uh, genre of practical, durable clothing. Yeah. For outdoor anything, which ties into tactical training, ties into survival training, ties into hiking, outdoor, whatever. The best company is Fiala Raven. They're, to me, they're like the cry precision civilian version. Yeah, it is pretty legit. So we, uh, you know, we've been talking to them and going back and forth. And 
Um, we had an opportunity to work with Fiel Raven uh, North America, which, you know, if you pronounce it, I guess in English, it's Fall Raven in the United States. They're based out of Lakewood, I believe Lakewood, Colorado, which is on the front range, uh, which is probably about six hours from where we live uh, in the southwestern corner of Colorado. But uh, anyways, good, good conversation that we had with them. Uh, we got hooked up with them through a dude actually funny in north carolina why every time you say we get hooked up with them it's always preceded by a dude i don't know yeah sorry Ah. we're not hooking up with dudes i promise uh i'm married and uh mike could be hooking up with dudes (laughs) i don't know (laughs) anyways no Uh, but uh but great company and some of the pictures that you've seen on instagram have been of the keb trouser k-e-b and those uh, are my ass that you that you usually take yeah yeah, I don't know. I, I usually... The one... You took those. Yeah. You asked me to zoom in on your butt, though. I kind of felt like it was for a dude, but... Why did you say arch your back? That was weird. <laughs> yeah. But they're great pants, No, man. they are. They're awesome. They're super durable. Uh, Mike and I have had uh, a chance to rock them at several courses, and, um, you know, through doing all kinds of different combat marksmanship, whether we're running, basically Climbing landing stuff. on a knee, yeah, I mean, taking a knee... Um, doing all kinds of different stuff. Those pants are pretty durable, so come highly recommended from us for sure. Um, you know, we don't have a code or anything like that associated with it. Uh, That's coming soon, though. Yeah, hopefully it is. Uh, I think it's going to be in the form of discount cards for our customers or our clients, which I think is really cool. So several of the business partnerships that we have right now, um, you know, hey, there is a benefit uh, in that. One, we get to T and E the equipment, and if we like it, then we go with the company. If it's a piece of crap, then we don't. Um, so, you know, kind of our feeling is we're not going to compromise our integrity for a profit uh, because that's a wrong answer, and we just don't want to do that. Uh, but the companies that we have decided to partner with, uh, we feel make good equipment. You know, and then the nice thing is, is that, uh, you know we've asked these companies to help provide a discount for our clients if they're interested in buying those things so you know you guys are getting max benefit out of uh out of a relationship that we have and that to us is the right answer yeah i I think it's i think it's a cool you know what i think it's just whether it's synergy or just this you know whatever we wear we get asked what we wear yeah whatever we wear we're wearing or or utilizing things that work i mean we're past the point of giving a shit about aesthetics it just so happens the the stuff that we do well you might use, be but i'm not I yeah i know to. i know you're still doing bedazzled <laughs> jeans um which is which is cool i think they're really cool do you shop at buckle bro <laughs> i actually do i got a catalog we we believe in the utility of things i think right. being a, a advocate for things that can be utilized especially in harsh environments especially on the go like we are yep is a positive thing. It's cool. I think it's a cool field. Yeah. Hence why we were getting into it. Right. I think it's really cool. Favorite movie of all time? Favorite movie of all time? Hmm. All right. There's four that come to mind. Oh, what the fuck? I got it. You're like, ah, four. Come on, man. I'm a, I'm a child right. of the 80s. Let's so, do this. Okay. Yeah. So, Platoon, Apocalypse Now, Goonies, and fuck, there was one other. Full Metal Jacket? Yeah, that's the actually no. I was thinking of something else. Maybe it's only three right now. But Goonies, like when I was a kid, I yeah. fucking loved that movie. You remind me of that dude that has the baby roof. <laughs> if you guys watched that movie, <laughs> my mine are in the eighties. Mike as reminds well. me of Chunk in uh, when he does the truffle shuffle when he's outside <laughs> and they have to do the 
It's basically the challenge and password to get into Mikey's Why house. Why would you put me on that, dude? Sorry. I'm supposed to be Mikey. <laughs> My name's Mike. Mikey, come here Damn. and give me a kiss. <laughs> that, all those mouth? movies were great. Yeah, yeah mouth. mouth. When he cuts the, the hole in that painting and he's putting his tongue through it and he's like, Mikey, come here and give me a kiss. <laughs> or he's talking to the maid in Spanish and yeah. tells her that the drugs go in the certain drawers. And if she fucks it up, she's going into like the attic where the sex torture devices are. <laughs> That's such a good movie. Yeah, can't beat it. Back to the Future. Is. That's another one. Yeah. Well, there's a whole bunch of epic parts of that movie. One is that Toyota. That that SR five or that or that uh, Hilux that's oh, in that movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Boss, dude. Yeah, that thing. Is it's badass. all jacked up, and I'm like, dude, that's the first. Second, his chick was awesome, like in that movie. <laughs> Third, he goes back in the pol- Polaroid analogy. Yeah. I always use. Oh yeah, yeah. Where people are disappearing. Well, you know what's crazy? As a kid, I understood. I'm gonna geek out for a second, but how impactful it was to create your own destiny. Right. And that what you create is literally a version of that moment where he's looking at the Polaroid picture because you're creating memories that are long-lasting. Yeah. That captioned are basically Polaroids in your mind. And if you if you actually pay attention to that consciously, you'd appreciate life more. Yeah. You know, just like the September 11th thing, man. Like, I, you know, I hate when people take life for granted. They're either bitching about life, how it sucks. It's like, really, does it really suck that bad? Because you could be in Syria, in Aleppo, getting butt-fucked by ISIS, um, <laughs> or how bad they got it, or how they, their life isn't enough, right? or how they fear everything. Yeah, I mean, there's people in life who fear every single aspect of anything outside of their comfort zone, which impedes their ability to grow and create wonderful memories. Right. I mean, I, I've been with friends and, and uh, loved ones where going outside... It's scary. Yeah. Going and exploring is scary. Where getting in a vehicle and driving to an unknown place is an unknown destination is just scary venture. You know, I, I get it, man. There's anxieties in life and there's there's uh, uh, discomforts. Yeah. But if you could just bridge that and you can get past that, yeah, uh, it would open your eyes to new experiences and living life truly, truly like he did in Back to the Future. Yeah, I was like, how are you going to tie this into Back to the Future? And you just brought it full circle. Full circle, so, man. You so get on your hovercraft board. I know that you have a favorite love so movie. I have three of them. <laughs> I knew it! Bro, I knew it. let's hear them. I'm a big, I'm a hopeless romantic. Honestly, dude, not a lot of people know about this movie. My favorite is a movie by Robin Williams that really isn't advertised called What Dreams May Come. Okay. In this movie... I know I'm going to get some stalker chick who's going to watch this movie and be like, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's okay. That's fine. I appreciate that kind of stalking. But it's Robin Williams' wife is killed in a car accident. Right. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Sorry. That's not what happens. I don't know this movie. Okay. So so I don't want to spoil it. I'll give you the generalities. Generalities is his wife kills herself. Oh, God. (laughs) That sounds Which, terrible. I hate to laugh at that. What I'm telling you is I'm spoiling the movie. <laughs> that's, that's not general. You get two ex-special operations guys talking about love movies. The first one you go to is his wife kills herself. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, keep going. <laughs> no, so he kills himself. But then this dude does the same thing to himself to go to hell to save her. Wow. He believed in love so much. I'm going to tear up. He could believe in love <laughs> so much. Tissue. That he go, he actually kills himself to go into hell to save her, 
And and then he found out it didn't work, and he was like, <laughs> he's, he's stuck in hell. But dude, it's a an amazing movie, man. It's a great freaking movie, and Robin Williams is awesome. But that movie just gives you this weird perspective and understanding about like, you know, when you truly love somebody, you you you're willing to go to any means to to be with them. Yeah, whatever it takes. And you know that that stuck in my psyche because I, I saw that as a child, and. Uh, I don't know, man. It's just it's, it was impactful. The second one, <laughs> which is uh, which I remember where I was when I watched it, man. It was in I was in Afghanistan in '05. I was in I was at Camp Vance because I came back and I had to get uh, money for the team for the firebase. And I was a, alone in this. You know how they had the they have these uh, the bays with yeah. the cots. Yeah. And so I went to the little PX. It's like communal sleeping quarters yeah. when you go back to the You main sleep for base. just a day and then yeah. you fly out the next day on a helicopter. And so I went to the little PX and they had movies. And I was like, let me just pick up some movies. And I picked up The Notebook. And I said 80s. Oh, well, this <laughs> All right, is, just keep going. You said love movies. Just keep, yeah, keep going. Um, this well, is well, going to be awesome. <laughs> I know it. Would you be mad on Instagram if I put the notebook <laughs> and then said, listen to our latest podcast yeah. on love movies? Yeah, great. Um, so you got to believe in love, man. <laughs> so this, <laughs> this is great. I'm motivated by this. I remember putting my laptop on my belly, opening, opening this on my laptop, and watching this movie. But, you know, a lot of people have seen The Notebook, but it's about... What do you want? <laughs> this guy, <laughs> it is. You know, he loved this girl. He wanted to be with her. And... If any his, females are listening to this right now, they already know what you're talking about. Well, his mom... The dudes, his, maybe you're motivating her. Her, her mom cock-blocked him. Oh, ooh. And, and didn't allow... She, like, hit all the letters. And then she felt guilty because she actually had a love of her life that she let go. Yeah. So, in these letters... Uh, he get she gives her back the letters, and then she realizes that she, he didn't ignore right. that he wanted to be part of her life, and he fought for, her, and and she was being blocked by the mom by the mom who wanted a better life, but a better life doesn't equate to a better love. And I would be in a cardboard I box. I knew you were gonna get fired up about this. <laughs> Sorry, fucking, man. Sorry, dude. Like, I'm sweating, bro. I literally had a carrot with a string on it, threw it out in front of you. Oh and I was man, like, you got yeah. me going, man. I would rather be in a cardboard box with the love of my life than be in a mansion with somebody that I didn't want to be with. All right. And so, what you're getting uncomfortable. <laughs> you're sweating, bro. What's going on? <laughs> All right, third movie. All right. Well, I'm finished. Talk about fucking well, he, love. Well, he movies goes back and he builds an hour. <laughs> he goes back and he builds this home for her, and and he's like rolling like a boss by himself, and he's fighting. And you know, love. <laughs> Love isn't all all cut in the fucking. Did I ask sometimes you, you got to fight for that shit, and they're fighting, going at each other. But the coolest thing is, at the end of it, they he's he's helping her because she has Alzheimer's, and he's helping her remember these memories, right. which I think encapsulates the whole thing. My third, the third favorite one, which I, people might not consider a, a love story, is Benjamin Button, dude. Yeah, a, and you know, Brad Pitt's in it, who's an awesome actor, and he li- lives this life in reverse, but it's a great love story. And you know, I only encourage you if you are a dude and and you think you're a badass and you want to be a, even more badass, be sensitive to understanding that you have to be a communicator of emotion to be a good man. And and don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid to be godly, don't be afraid to be emotional, don't be afraid to communicate your feelings. And some perspective is watching those love movies and getting some ideas on how we think about love, how we think about 
these villains and not always just being you know I'm a hard ass I just watch uh, you know I don't know what's your favorite hard ass movies <laughs> I don't know what they are Van Damme yeah Van Damme Bloodsport right yeah where he's wearing yoga pants is Bloodsport his... your favorite your favorite love <laughs> no. movie when yeah. he gets in when he gets in those tights and he does a yeah. split over that's my that's my favorite love uh, expression is is doing the splits in my yoga pants <laughs> for my wife she really enjoys that no, but I was going to say, I have a, a love movie that I enjoyed when Karate I was a kid. kid. No, 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 no. Because uh, that's a good uh, one. What was it? It was Can't Buy Me Love. And the story with that one was uh, basically the dude hangs out with the popular cheerleader, wants to pork her. And, <laughs> well, it reminds me a lot of my own experience in high school because I had a, a really good... <laughs> what? No, 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 no. I didn't oh. buy anybody. No. <laughs> All right, never mind. <laughs> you, you can't say <laughs> <laughs> this dude's parking this chick, and they're gonna run Oh shit! No, but the experience ended up so I di- so I dated a cheerleader oh, when I was okay. in high school. Yep. She was she was a, a, a good looking girl. Yeah, and uh, in the end, it ended poorly. Lisa, she, I never heard about this story before, so I, just so you know. I think actually my wife knows about this story, but she cheated on me anyways. In the end, and it was actually not, oh, I have heard this story. Yeah, it was not a good thing, but anyways. Well, you she cheated on you and didn't give her a second chance. Yeah, and and you know. I, I don't believe like when you when you ultimately do something like cheating on a spouse, you are going off the deep end, and for them to take you back is hard. It's it's difficult to recover for something like that. Yeah, and and they're making a life decision. That's not you know that's not something that's taken lightly. So, in that situation, I, I think about that and how how much it probably negatively impacted her life. But maybe made it made her a better person. I would hope so that she wouldn't do that to anybody else. Well, she's married now and has kids, and well, that's good. Good for her, man. So. She recovered, and hopefully, she's not porking some dude on the side. Oh man! Oh wow! We went down a series. I knew it, dude. I was like, why did I ask that? It's question? the black tea, dude. It turned on something. Well, it's literally. I'm sweating. It's a hundred fucking degrees in our room right now. Yeah. We we're like it sweating. We're naked. Yeah. <laughs> we're sitting Indian style, fucking meditating, uh, levitating. When in Rome. Anyways, I think. Cl- I think closing that's remarks. It. Yeah. Clo- <laughs> closing remarks. <laughs> Thank you for following at Soft Survivor and Kurt underscore Team Philcraft. Oh, uh, what? No. It, you know, if you listen to this podcast, we actually, you know, it's funny. We mentioned, we talked about this a little bit, but Bernie Sanders, remember that bet we made with Bernie Sanders? Oh. So we reached out to Bernie Sanders. And he's got a media team, but we made him a bet that if we beat him for a week long, we would send him a t-shirt and he would have to take a selfie and wear that t-shirt. <laughs> in a t-shirt. Philcraft t-shirt. In a Philcraft t-shirt. We'll see if it works. Yeah. We're, gonna um, hold, we're holding Bernie Bernie's feet to the fire on this one. Yeah. You will be held accountable, Bernie. Yeah. Um, we're not fucking around. Not fucking around. I would like to say, we have been posting more stuff about US Night Vision. Yeah. And one thing that has never been tied in before... Is night vision into survival? Right. I think you know we're we're talking about some stuff, cool stuff with projects with with a whole bunch of different uh, media groups. And w- when you take technology and you integrate it into survival, you get the best of both worlds. Because modern survival changes. The m- mindset is a staple of survival. Period. But when you look at modern survival, there's an evolutionary process. Just like we advance and we modernize ourselves on the battlefield, which in turn modernizes 
yeah. life, period. Common sense dictates that it's going to modernize modern survival. Exactly. Or survival. The survival. Genre. We always look at the integration of technology. I'm actually talking to a guy who's looking at some cool hydration packs that lower your temperature and all this cool stuff. Right. And we're always looking to integrate technology because, you know, the staples, bushcraft, that stuff remains the same. That's, if you're doing that's caveman shit. Right. Which is, you know, you, you should always be able to revert back to that. But the advancement, night vision tied into that. There's a whole bunch of applications, which we won't get into now because we'll have an, an actual episode on it. It's very interesting. And we work with US Night Vision because they're a strategic partner of ours because we, ha- we share the same values and the mindset in creating this space so that civilians can have access to technology, to uh, training, to equipment, right. to better their chances of survival. And I think it's all cool stuff. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, bro. You got anything closing? I mean, just, uh, you know, usual comments where Mike and I obviously couldn't do what we do without uh, all of our listeners' support, all of our clients' support. Uh, You know, from the bottom of our hearts, we truly are appreciative of the fact that, uh, you know, hey, we make a living, uh, you know, doing this. Not not necessarily the podcast, but we make a living training people on modern survival. We have other projects that we're working on. We hope uh, at the release of those that uh, we have your guys' full support. And I think you're going to dig all the different things that we're going to be getting into. And that's going to be coming within the next, you know, couple months for a couple projects. And then... You know, we have stuff planned out long term as well. So definitely stay tuned, um, you know, to our social media outlets, which is obviously Mike's at Soft Survivor. Mine is Kurt underscore uh, Team Fieldcraft and then Fieldcraft Survival. Obviously, if you guys are listening, you know we have an iTunes uh, podcast. Subscribe, leave feedback. Leave feedback. Let us know uh, your ideas. Let us know if you want to hear about things. We do read uh, a ton of our DMs. We do listen to your guys' feedback, and it helps uh, drive us for content because we want to know what you guys want to learn about. Um, and then, uh, obviously, we have a Facebook page, and then you can also visit our website at www.fieldcraftsrevival.com. Yeah, if, uh, we ask, get asked a lot, hey, can, how can we support you guys? Well, you can support us by representing our brand, by buying hats, T-shirts, Fieldcraft Survival Kits, all that it's stuff. It's the Fieldcraft Tribe. Fieldcraft Tribe. I think it's yeah. cool, man. I think modernizing this culture where Dude, we're giving content. We need to do a t-shirt. A tribe t-shirt. Bro. Fieldcraft Tribe. We do have to do that. That's cool. That is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> huh. I love it when a plan comes together. That's awesome. It must be that black tea. Yeah. Actually, awesome. I had green, but... Did you have green? Yeah. Oh. Hey. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Sin Kurt videos, not uh, words, because he can't... He's still <laughs> trying to get through those words, yeah. and I'm tired of uh, transcribing them for him. Um, but yeah, we appreciate all the things that you guys do for us, and uh, we look forward to doing more for you guys. Yeah. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed uh, Shooting the Shit episode two. What dreams may come, bro. Yeah. What dreams may come. Yeah. Until next time, stay alert. Stay alive.